Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. When he found out about her affair with his best friend, he was hurt, deeply hurt. So the way to solve it in his mind was to move halfway across the country, and that's what they did. It's what he found out next that devastated him even more than he thought he could ever be devastated. We'll talk about that, and then we'll get your opinion. If you were his best friend, what would you have been telling him to do? Hey, welcome. We're live here on Facebook with Dr. Joe Beam and myself, Kimberly Holmes. And today we are talking about a situation where we are saying, what would you do if this was your situation? Would you stay? Would you go? How would you handle this? And so, Joe, how were you? You opened it up. If people are just now joining, give us Mm -hmm. a recap as well of, of what we're talking about today. Okay. And really asking rather than what you would do, we want to know what would you be telling your best friend to do? So he found out that she was having an affair with his best friend. And his solution was to move her across the country, which is what he did. And he thought that would solve everything. It was what he found out next that was even more devastating than what he'd found out before. But so far, at this point, if he's your best friend and he said, okay, we're moving across the country, this should be the end of it, don't talk to him again, don't have any communication with him again, and she agreed that that wouldn't happen, if he's your best friend, are you going to tell him, hey, that's a good idea, I think that should be the way to solve this, or would you have told him something differently? And I guess we're looking for people to give us their response. Is that correct or incorrect? Absolutely. So if you're joining us live here on Facebook, then we love your interaction throughout this time. If you have questions, if you have comments to whatever we're saying, then just jot them below. I'm monitoring it over here to the side, and it looks like we have some people joining us live as well. But the situation that we're talking about so far is, okay, I want to make sure that I'm wrapping my head around it, because I think I might I might be getting lost. So there's a man, his wife has had an affair with his best friend. That is correct. They are moving across the country. That was his way to solve it. He got a job someplace else. I'll pack my family up. We'll move over there, and that'll be the so end So did it. she end it? Well, she said she did. Or was she just ripped away from it? <laughs> She said she ended it. She said she wanted to save the marriage, and this was the way they were going to solve it. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm asking right now for people to make comments on, if he were your best friend Mm -hmm. and you were talking to him, would you say to him, that's a good idea? Or would you say to him, no, that's not going to solve anything? And and if people are giving advice about that, I would love to see what they think about it. And if they're not, that's fine. We can go on from here until what happens next. So you're not asking, okay. Not if I were the best friend who was having the affair with the wife, but if I were another friend of his and this were the situation happening. I don't happening. know why this is so confusing. Yeah. Okay. So I, so personally, um, well, someone said my wife is doing this to me right now and mm-hmm. I'm the one who needs advice badly. So, okay. Well, we're not ready to give advice to you. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But right now, I want to find out what people would be saying. If you were his best friend, not the one that had the affair, right. but his best friend. And if I miscommunicated with that, misled, I'm so terribly sorry. That was not my point. And, and he's saying, okay, moving across the country is going to solve our problems. Would you have said to him, yeah, that's a good idea to do that? Or would you have said to him, 
No, that's not going to solve anything at all. And if so, why would you have said whatever it was that you would have said to him? Yeah. Well, it looks like our viewers don't know what to say. Some One person said it's not going to solve anything. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know the why behind that. Is it not going to solve anything because... I don't want to fill it in and give you words in your mouth, but why do you think moving across the country, getting away from the affair, isn't going to solve something? Right. And so if you're going to tell us what, this is what I would suggest to him, be sure to tell us why, because that's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. We want to understand here how people think about these kinds of things. And so we're looking for your thoughts, what you think. Cool. So we have some more coming in. One person says, if it were my friend, I would support the move to put distance between the wife and her affair partner, but I would suggest further work to repair the marriage. Moving isn't going to change anything in the marriage. Another person says, if she's missing out on something in her marriage, then it's not going to fix anything. And if they move, he should put boundaries or criteria in place. Okay, most of these things sound pretty good. Yeah, I would agree that, yeah, you need to solve the problem, and moving does not in and of itself solve the problem. I agree with that. And at the same time, you know, there was an implication there. Well, if something's missing in a marriage, it's not always the case that the reason that a person gets involved with somebody else is because something is missing in his or her marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, can it be a factor? Absolutely. Is it often a factor? Absolutely. But it's not always a given because even sometimes in relationships that are actually doing pretty good, mm-hmm. you find that a person can still wind up in another situation. For example, her precipitating factor, if you will, the thing that led her into the situation wasn't because the marriage was not fulfilling. It was actually because of the fact that uh, she was still trying to recuperate from some things that had happened to her in childhood. And this guy seemed to be, if you'll allow me to to use the language, a bomb for that. Mm. So while, yes, it can be mm, something's Mm -hmm. missing to marriage, Mm -hmm. don't always assume that that's the case. Mm. There can be other things, other factors going on Mm. as well. Someone said, it won't solve anything because there is an issue with character and integrity. And this could happen again with someone else. Treat the root of the problem, not just the Band-Aid. It's deeper than a move. Now, is there, so you mentioned that there's something else going on. There were some things that happened in this wife's childhood that led to this, but there were some other things from that same stuff that happened in her childhood that led to not just this affair, but other things that she was doing in the marriage as well. That I think a lot of people have more problems with in their marriage than maybe the people watching who haven't been affected by an affair, but have been affected by this other thing that you haven't mentioned yet. Well, the person who mentions, okay, there's a character problem and an integrity problem. I understand that when a person is violating his or her marriage vows, that that, that is a violation of integrity. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, and if you say, okay, then that means there's something wrong with his or her character, I can certainly understand that viewpoint, that thinking about that. Mm-hmm. But remember that sometimes some really good people can do some really bad things. Now, does it mean that it's still a violation of integrity? Absolutely. But does it mean that there's a major flaw in his or her character? And the answer is not necessarily, because even good people can do bad things. Now, I'm not justifying it, and I'm not saying it's a good thing because a good person did it. Right. Being unfaithful to one's spouse is still wrong, no matter what. But don't necessarily think that, okay, well, she's some evil, terrible, wicked person. 
All right. So she ends the affair. They mm-hmm. move across the country. They start working on the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, well, her husband thought she ended the affair. Mm. But she had not. Now, she was not in the same town. Therefore, she was not having sex with the guy anymore. Mm -hmm. But she was still having communication with him. And a lot of that communication that she's having with him uh, has to do with the fact that they are watching the same kind of pornography. Mm. So it's like, I found something online. Why don't you watch this? And they were communicating online. So he would watch it. She would watch it. Mm. And then they would have some kind of an interaction or chat with each other about what they had seen, what was going on. And of course, in that conversation... It would be as if they themselves were the ones having that kind of sex with each other, even though they were watching somebody else have it. And so um, the pornography became an aspect of this, not just in the sense that she was looking at porn, but in the sense that it was a way for her to continue to have a sexual connection Hmm. with the guy she had had the affair with that now she's thousands of miles from and can't continue that affair with. Right. Hmm. Now, when he found that out, and when the husband caught her with that, um, he was devastated even more. Like, you know, you told me it was over. You told me it was done. Now I find out that you're still having communication with each other, and this pornography thing's involved. And so at this point, if, if you're another one of his best friends, not the one he was ha- that she was having the affair with, but another best friend, what do you tell him now? When he catches her, and several months have passed now, several months have passed, the marriage seemed to be going well, uh, and now he finds out she's doing this. What do you say then? Do you say to him, that's it, get rid of her, kick her out? Or do you say to him, mm, here's a solution potential, and here's what I suggest that you try? Or, or do you just look at him and go, I don't have a clue what you should do about this? So if it's your pal, what kind of advice are you giving now? What kind of things are people saying about this? Well, we haven't had anyone say anything about this this now so okay. far. All right. Um, but the... It's so basically there's this reoccurring theme. So maybe it's not the physical affair that's continued to happen, but there's definitely still communication. There's definitely still this breach of intimacy because of what they're watching, what of what they're talking about, the fantasies that they're having. Um, and it's still an affair. It may not be an affair in the sense that they're sleeping in the same bed with each other, but if you affair is such a nice word. If you use a more old-fashioned word, you would say adultery. And if you start defining or trying to understand adultery, you'd say a violation of the marriage contract. I mean, the agreement we have in each other. For example, to be faithful to each other, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely a violation of the marriage contract they've had with each other. Mm-hmm. In that sense, if, if you want to use the old phrase, adultery is adultery. If you want to choose a more common, nicer word that people use today in affair, it's definitely an affair. It's just that they're not winding up in the same bed with each other, but she's still in violation of this relationship that she has with her husband, without a doubt. So he finds that out. Mm-hmm. Now, what does he do? One person said they need to go to counseling. Another person says, like you said, it's still an emotional affair. Another person says, if you love her and think she's a good person doing a bad thing, then get some professional help. Um, if she's a bad person doing a bad thing, end it. Okay, and we often say that. We say if a person's a good person doing a bad thing, that he or she then would be worth rescuing. Mm -hmm. But if a person is a bad person doing a bad thing, then, you know, you can't really do much about that. Now, understand what we mean by good person and bad person. When we say bad person, we mean somebody whose beliefs and values, whose morality is not going to be in, in it's not going to jive with yours. 
What I mean by that is the, the things he or she will continue to do because of whatever's driving him or her mm -hmm. is going to be continually in conflict with you. So for example, and this is the extreme, if a person's a sociopath or a psychopath, then no matter what you do, it's not going to make the relationship better. Now I'm not saying this woman was, but even if a person doesn't meet those kinds of criteria, if it's like, well, I don't care what you think is right or wrong. I can do whatever the heck it is I want to do with whoever I want to do it with. And you should just tolerate that. Even if she didn't meet criteria like sociopathy, uh, still it would be something and say, I can't fix this. Mm -hmm. And so typically when we say the difference in a good person and a bad person, what we're referring to is, is this a person that somehow you guys can have some compatibility to solve this problem? Or is this a person whose beliefs and values, whose continued actions are always going to be inconsistent with the ability for you guys to put this marriage back together? Now, in that case, I'll tell you now that she was not a bad person. She was doing some things that were bad, mm -hmm. bad for the marriage, actually bad for her, bad in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. But she, in my estimation, was worth rescuing. But here he is like, but you told me it was over. And now I find out several months later that you reconnected with him. And not only are you communicating with him, but you're having this sexual stuff go on where you're discussing these kinds of things and talking about the porn and vicariously, if you will, living through that. I mean, he's like, I don't think I can put up with this anymore. Would you blame him? Would you blame him if he said, that's it, I'm done, she's gone? Or would you want to, in some fashion, try to put this thing back together? That's the question. Right. Why are you looking at me like <laughs> I'm that? thinking, I'm just thinking. <laughs> One person said, so is the wife willing to get help? Does she really want to save the marriage? She did. She actually did want to save the marriage. Now, you understand that she wasn't thinking about saving the marriage when indeed she was involved with this other guy and looking at the porn and those kinds of things. She wasn't actually thinking about leaving the marriage. She wasn't contemplating uh, divorcing her husband and going back to where the other guy was. That wasn't in her mind at all. So she wasn't even trying to destroy the marriage. She was getting some fulfillment from this uh, that was helping her deal with some of the issues of things that had happened to her much earlier mm -hmm. in life. It's still, even though a very bad bomb and not a healthy bomb in any shape, fashion, or form, was still a way for her to deal from the pain of some things that had happened to her sexually earlier in life. So she's not thinking in terms of, I'm destroying my marriage. She's thinking in terms of, this helps me have, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous to you, peace. You say, peace? Yeah, obviously she's getting sexually titillated. She is doing things to her body when she's watching the pornography. So I'm not meaning that she's not finding some kind of sexual excitement in this, but in living in that little fake world, if you will, that, that online world of pornography, she's not having to deal with the pain in her own life. So in her mind, it's still not about leaving her marriage. In her mind, it's about this is something that I'm doing that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I'm finding some fulfillment in it in the sense that I'm, she wouldn't have thought about it at the time, but I'm overcoming some pain from much earlier in life by some titillation that I'm experiencing now. And as long as my husband doesn't know, it's not destroying the marriage. It's not hurting us. Everything is going to be fine. At the same time, even though she was finding some of that kind of fulfillment, if you'd allow me to use that word, at the same time, she wasn't fulfilled. 
because she knew what she was doing was wrong, and she knew what she was doing was not ultimately good for her or anybody else. That's why she kept doing more and more of it. It's because it's not really truly fulfilling me. It's just giving me some temporary relief. That's the kind of quote, fulfillment, end quote, quote mm -hmm. she was getting, was temporary relief, and so therefore she did it more. Yeah. Yeah, so some of the people coming through are saying, one person says, I can relate to how she was feeling. Another person is saying, trust is broken. It's going to take more than counseling because the offender needs to repent, stop having the relationships behind the back. A separation is warranted for divorce to be avoided. Um, the offender must be sincere and make their marriage better, becoming selfless. And another person says her husband should be a part of her healing and fulfillment. I want to take a bit of a diversion, a little bit, okay. and, and think about it in this way. Um, so changing the situation just a little, we know what her situation is, but what if, would you see it differently, you and the people watching, if the other man had not been a part of it and it was just the pornography? Well, obviously her husband saw that as being a major deal, that the fact that she was still involved with the other guy. Right. But part of their healing process was that, you know, she can't be involved in the porn anymore either, not mm -hmm. in any shape, fashion, or form. But he still saw it as this is a way for her to still be connected to the other guy. Mm -hmm. You're saying if the other guy didn't exist, would he have reacted just as strongly? And I don't know because that wasn't the situation he faced. He True. doesn't know either because that's not the situation that he faced. True. But the people that we have worked with and that you have worked with over your years of doing this, when there is a situation where there's not another person, there's the, but there is a pornography problem, mm -hmm. how do you typically see that affect the person, the violator, the person who's hurt by it, and how does their marriage typically go from there? Well, there's no single simple answer to that because of the fact that spouses react differently if their spouses are watching pornography. Some spouses watch it with them. Mm -hmm. and, and so they're going to have a very different reaction than a different spouse. If you look at the research about it, what tends to happen, and we're talking about tendencies here because people are unique, they're individuals, they're different, is that um, um, women tend not to view pornography as a problem if the relationship is not very strong. For example, if they're dating with each other, they tend not to get upset if their boyfriends are watching porn. Mm -hmm. but, but if the relationship becomes more intense, for example, if they get married, then even if the wife is participating in it to begin with, things begin to change. Again, I'm talking about the tendencies that are indicated in the research. She, for example, is going to start comparing herself to what's going on on the screens. And after a while, she's going to start coming off second best. Like that woman's prettier than I am, or she can do things sexually that I'm not very good at or whatever it might be. And so her self-esteem tends to go down. Uh, if a man finds his wife using pornography, he may feel the same kinds of things, but he may not. So it's even based on gender. So bottom line is this, when a person sees that as you are violating our contract, you're looking for something else to fulfill you besides me, then typically that partner's self-esteem diminishes dramatically. Like I'm not enough for you. I can't fulfill you. As one woman said to me once, I wish I could have plastic surgery from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. So maybe, just maybe my husband would want to look at me. And so those women on the internet. And so in those situations where it really becomes a major problem for the marriage, then like any other major problem for the marriage, 
if you're going to make the marriage good, you've got to stop the thing causing the problem. Mm-hmm. Whatever that might be, including pornography, if that's what's causing difficulty with the marriage. Mm-hmm. Is it ever okay for a marriage? I think that it's not. And, and I think the research is pretty indicative of that, indicative of that, I say, if I want to pronounce that word correctly. Yet there are marriage counselors out there who are recommending it. We're saying that this is the way to make your sex life better. You guys need to go do this. And if a couple who's watching us right now is involved in it, and at this particular point, they're both liking it, then they're going to disagree with me when I say it's not good because they're going to say, we're doing it right now. We think it's wonderful and you don't know what the heck you're talking about. But we tend not to look at what people are feeling at the moment. We look at what happens over a period of time where that, Rather than you guys focusing on each other sexually and finding a fulfillment with each other sexually, over time what happens is that you have to have that other stimulation to be excited and and that actually pulls you apart. So even if in the short term you're thinking, we like this, this is good for us, the indications are that that's not going to be the way you feel about it in the long term because it's actually going to become, it's going to supplant the relationship you have with each other. And very definitely, if either spouse right now is saying, this is bad, this is hurting me, please don't do it, then trying to justify to the other spouse is not going to be any good at all. (laughs) Because trying to justify to the other spouse is saying, no, no, this is cool, we're fine. And the other spouse saying, no, 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 it's not, this is hurting me. You better listen to her or to him when they're telling you that. Mm -hmm. But we've gotten off the topic. This particular thing wasn't just about pornography. It was about her having a crutch to deal with some of her pain. And this is now destroying the marriage. And he, when he finds out she's still having connection with this other guy, is just, as you can imagine, ripped totally to shreds by him. And he's saying, I can't live like this. This is not going to work. Now, let me speak to one thing that somebody said earlier. You said somebody said, well, separation is certainly warranted. Mm-hmm. I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. We recommend separation only only if uh, somebody is in danger. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you think you're going to get beaten up by your spouse, living in different places makes sense. Or if your children are going to be physically beaten up by your spouse, or even beaten up emotionally, spiritually, in any other way. If somebody's in danger, it makes sense to separate. But unless you're intending to divorce, separation will work against you. Again, unless you're doing it for safety's sake. Separation will work against you. We see it all the time. What happens is once you separate, there's some degree of like, oh, wow, we're out of the tension. We're out of this mess. And then it becomes more difficult often, not always, but often to get the people to come back and work on it because we are having relief by not living together. Now, in this particular case, now, if he intends a divorce or saying, get out, makes all the sense in the world. You can't live here. I'm not going to live with you anymore. I'm done. But if they have any intention of putting the marriage back together, of trying to save it, what do you think she's going to do if she winds up living by herself? More of what she's currently doing. More of what she's currently doing. So that's certainly not going to make things any better for her. Mm -hmm. So when you say, well, a separation certainly warranted, my response is no, not unless you want this marriage to be over. And if so, fine, separate in preparation for divorce. That's just typically what people go to, because when we're thinking of a consequence to give our spouse, 
it's kind of like when we put our kids in time out, like get away, go be by yourself. And then you're going to realize you miss me. You ha- what you did was wrong X, Y, and Z, but that is what we're saying isn't what happens when it's two grown adults. Uh, typically not. Typically not. Now, can there be a time, even if it's not a safety factor, where you set boundaries and you say, you do that again, and there's going to be a negative consequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a matter of fact, find some of our podcasts and Marriage Helper and find the ones you can go in Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K, Spreaker.com, for example, or iTunes or Google Play, find mm-hmm. Marriage Radio. Find the hour and a half or hour and 15 minute audio podcast I did a couple of years ago called The Definitive Guide to Boundaries. And if you're going to set a boundary, we typically say make it a tiered response. Like if you do it once, if I catch you again, then this is going to be the consequence. Then if you get back together, if I catch you the second time, this is the greater consequence. And if you get back together and catch you the third time, this is it. And that's at the point when typically we would say a true separation. Now you might say the first time, I catch you doing it again, you're out for a week. Mm -hmm. You might do that. But in a situation like this one, where she's fighting what she's fighting, I'm not sure the separation's a good idea at all if, if he wants to save the marriage. Now, if she continues doing it, and he did give her an ultimatum, if I catch you doing this again, you are out. He didn't make it tiered. It was like one and done. You will be out. And in this particular case, she never did it again, and that worked out well for them. But... So separation can be a consequence, but we say you need to set that up. You need to think it through carefully and think that separation sometimes can cause more problems than whatever solution it might be able to offer you. I'm also guessing Mm -hmm. that if it's the wife setting the hard boundary and consequence to a husband, just because of the way society typically is, where the wife's at home with kids probably, the husband's the one who has his own financial you know, set up where he, so if she says you have to leave, he has the means to leave, to go and have his other apartment or whatever. Whereas if it's the husband, like in this situation, and I don't know if this was the case or not, that husband saying to the wife, you have to go. She probably wasn't bringing in as much as he was. And financially it's like, well, how, how Maybe. could I? That's, that's a possibility. And, uh, but the culture is changing. Yeah. And and now sometimes the wives make more money than the husbands. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that the, the wife sitting at home taking care of the kids while the husband works is becoming a very rare thing, as a matter of fact. So while you're, what you're saying may be true, uh, as we culturally change, that's becoming less true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and say, for example, now this guy was thousands of miles away. The other guy was thousands of miles away. But if he'd been nearby... And he said, get out. And if the other guy were single, then that's very likely where she would go. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying by that, don't bring about consequences because you may be aiding and abetting bad behavior. I'm actually not saying that at all. And if I sound like that, forgive me. I'm just saying you need to think everything through before you make a decision. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, sometimes you would still say, I can't tolerate this behavior anymore. Even if you go do it more, if I throw you out, you can't live here. Even if you go be with the other person... You can't live here. But what we typically recommend, now, it's always your decision. We will not and cannot tell you what to do. But we typically recommend, think about it this way. If you can work on this while the spouse is still in the house. In other words, if if you can tolerate the situation, it's typically better off for you to stay together than it is for you to separate. Now, if it's a situation you just can't tolerate, like, 
a guy told us not long ago, well, she's still living here, but she goes out every night. She leaves about eight. She comes back in at two or three o'clock in the morning. She's drunk when she comes back in the door. She smells like cigarette smoke. And, and she just tells me I've been out partying and I've had some guys tonight and I finally came home. He said, should I continue to let her live here? Well, again, we don't tell you what to do, but my suggestion in that situation is, well, no. I mean, you just have become a hotel room for her to go drinking, carousing, and sleeping with the other guys and come back to the hotel room where the, you're doing the cooking and cleaning. If I were in that situation, I wouldn't tolerate that. But if, if it's a situation you can tolerate, like, okay, we're not talking to each other, uh, but he or she is at least at this point not doing blank, whatever blank is, then we typically suggest then maybe let him or her stay in the house for a while while you're trying to work this thing out. Sometimes they say, well, what if I know they're still talking to each other? Well, that's for you to decide whether you can tolerate that or not. You say, you think that's a good idea? <laughs> no, it's not a good idea if they keep talking to each other. But if you're making progress, if you're actually communicating with each other and you may be getting somewhere toward making your marriage work, and if you can tolerate the fact that you know that she's still talking to him occasionally or he's still talking to her occasionally, then maybe, just maybe, you're better off still to be there together where you can communicate than to be apart. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it's your decision. We're not telling you to do something that where you're going, this is killing me. Don't do anything that's killing you. But contemplate, look at all those things. Now, if you might be thinking, good grief, Dr. Beam, you, you've given me so much here and, yeah. and you've given me so many different parameters that I'm now confused about what the heck I should do. Well, forgive me for sounding like a commercial, but one thing we do is we offer coaches and, and you can actually call and set up a, three appointments with our coaches, talk with him or her by phone and, and they will listen to you and they'll ask you questions and they'll help you think through so that you, not us, our, our coaches don't make your decisions either, but you finally make your own decision. But if somebody listening to this particular story, asking the questions, making suggestions for things to think about. And so maybe if I've confused things and I didn't mean to confuse, I'm just saying it's not always right. black and white. That's no, all I'm not. trying to say. It's not always black and white. And if you need a coach to talk to, we, we book in three sections. Mm -hmm. So you you can get three sessions, telephone sessions, and, and or I guess we do it by Skype and FaceTime yeah. as well, and talk to a coach if you want to do that. Yeah, one of the things just in all of the Facebook groups we have and the communities that we have online of people who have these hard situations, one of the things we see over and over and over that causes more harm than good is when you take this complex, complicated situation, you try and dwindle it down to a few sentences and then you get people's feedback on it that ha they have no idea about all of the other things and it really does end up making things worse than better because there's just so much. You really need that third party, the trusted third party who knows what they're talking about, who has actually helped relationships get better. Um, these are the things you need. And so, yes, our coaching does do that. And of course, the workshops that we have are what have our 77% success rate of saving marriages from situations like what we've been talking about and what people have been commenting about as well. Um, it's right. hard situations. Don't, and don't let anybody, 
me or anybody else tell you, here's what you should do. Mm. Because every situation is so unique. Yeah. And, and even if you talk to me directly and we were talking about it and I said, well, here's what I think I would do, it's still your decision. Beware of anybody, yep. whether he or she calls himself a counselor or a friend or anybody else that says, now, here's the answer. Do what I tell you to do. Right. Whoever that is, be wary of him or her because they're not professional and they're reading things into it based on their own opinions and those kinds of things, experiences they've had, experiences they've heard from others. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the way you do this. Deal with people who can help you think it through and come to your own conclusion. Now, in this particular couple, they did work it out. Yeah, which is awesome. They, they have a great marriage today. I mean, it's not perfect because no marriage is. I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. I'm just saying no marriage is perfect, so don't think that that one is, none mm -hmm. is. But they worked it out, and she w did live by the criteria I'm, I'm, and by the boundaries. I'm not going to be involved with any other communication with that guy. I'm not going to look at the porn anymore and those kinds of things. They didn't separate. They did work it out. And, and that's been many years ago now, and they're doing quite well. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I wanted you to hear that is to know that sometimes when you hear a situation, you think there is no way on earth that anybody can solve that problem and have a good marriage again. I mean, it's done, it's over. But we regularly see situations that everybody else has given up on and say there is no way. Mm -hmm. And we say, well, you know, there just may be. Just the other day, a couple of marriage counselors were having uh, a meal with me. And one said, well, don't you guys ever see a situation where you think, don't even try. I regularly see situations where my first thought is, don't even try because it's like, oh my goodness. But no, I never say don't even try because it's amazing what people can work through, work out and make good yep. things that you wouldn't even possibly begin to imagine could happen, but, but yep. people do it. So we're saying the first gut reaction is not like it's done, it's over, this is impossible. The first reaction should be, what do we need to do to try to resolve this and pull it out? Mm -hmm. Because he still loved her and she actually still loved him. What she was doing was not because of the fact she didn't love her husband anymore. Now you may be in a situation where you're saying, yeah, but my wife says she doesn't love me. If so, I'm so sorry. Or my husband says he doesn't love me and, and I know that's painful and I hate that that's the case. But even in those situations, even if the other person's saying, I don't care what happens to you, I'm leaving you, I'm gonna be with this other person, I'm gonna do this other thing, or I just don't wanna be with you anymore whatever the message might be, understand that does not necessarily mean it's over. There, it may, it may, but it does not necessarily mean that because quite often there are things you can do that if you do them, have a chance, sometimes actually a better chance than you imagine, of turning things around. Now, it's not about controlling the other person, it's about what you do for you. So. I don't know what other comments we got on this. I quit looking at some time ago. Well, we have a lot that have come in. One person says, I'm in a similar situation. My husband won't end his long distance affair, hmm. but doesn't want a divorce and says he still loves me. Thanks to your podcast, I am staying hopeful. Good. Which is awesome. Yeah, okay, then this is the perfect example of what we talked about earlier, where that if he still says he loves you, he still says that the marriage doesn't want to end, and he's still living at home, uh, then maybe you tolerate the fact that he still feels what he feels. 
You should always tolerate what a person feels. You don't always need to tolerate what a person does. But the fact that he might still have some communication with her, if you are making progress, then if you can tolerate it, if you can handle it, then maybe you tolerate it for a while longer that he still is communicating with her because you know that there's some hope of putting the marriage back together. If at some point it becomes harmful to you or to him or anybody else, then there could be time to pull a plug. You can find various podcasts and other things we have written about a thing called the valley. That's what we describe where you are right now. We call it the valley. And about, you know, when you're in the valley, because there may be a time that you do. But right now, it sounds like for you, there is hope. And so may I give a suggestion? Uh, maybe you mentioned to him, okay, the fact that you don't want the marriage to end, the fact that you say you still love me, even though you're involved with her, then I'm going to ask something that you do for me. I want you to go to this three-day intensive workshop these guys do over in Middle Tennessee in the Nashville area, and I'm asking you to do it for me. If he says, it's not going to end what I feel for her, tell him, okay, I understand. If he says, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop what I'm doing, say, okay, I understand. But will, for me, you go to this intensive three-day workshop, and, and let's see if we can find out some things about how we got to where we are and maybe where we go next. Now, I cannot guarantee you that will solve the problem and save the marriage. I wish I could guarantee that, but I cannot and will not ever lie to you about that. But I'm saying in a situation where at least he's amenable and says he loves you and the marriage does, he doesn't want the marriage to end, uh, that might be the ideal time to say, I'm asking you to do something for me. And when he gives his protest, don't argue with him. Don't say, oh, yes, this is going to fix you. Oh, yes, this is going to end the affair. My suggestion is don't do that. Just say, will you do this for me? Let's go see what we can do. Let's see what we need to find out about ourselves and about whatever potential future we might have together. And, and at least I'm happy for you that he still does want mm. to stay in the marriage. So many people watching us right now would give their left arm just to be that far along. Yeah. And if you're not that far along, come to our workshops anyway if you can, or getting our coaching if you can't come to the workshop. At least go online and see your information that we have there and watch our podcasts, listen to our audio podcasts, etc. Because, like in this situation, all your friends might be telling you, and his did, divorce her, get rid of her. She's evil. She's, she's always going to be like this. You can never trust her again. And he didn't listen to them. Instead, he did the things he should have done, and they have an amazing marriage today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, I have a question. Shoot. Would you be up for us doing, since we have so many viewers live, mm -hmm. would, you have, would you be up for us to do a quick lightning Q&A? And here's what I mean by that. So if viewers want to submit a question and we do a lightning Q&A where you give quick <laughs> responses so we can get through as many applicable ones that people join and give us as we can. Well, I think I've just been told to pare your answers down a lot. <laughs> and so I will. And, and, and okay, well, let's do a quick Q&A to applicable questions, whatever they may be. So if anyone has any questions they want to submit, now's your chance. We're, I'm going to be manning this. And thank you, Jesse, our producer, for adding that into the comment section. One that came in a little bit earlier, someone says, and you started to give this answer, uh, but maybe you just need to go back and tell them where they can find this again. Someone says, so what do I do if my spouse won't stop something they're doing, the affair, pornography, whatever it is, and they don't want to help the marriage. Okay. 
I said it before, so forgive the redundancy, but the first thing I do, based on whatever you get to easier, go to iTunes. That's a great place to find it. And go to Mary's Radio, subscribe free. If you don't have access to iTunes, then try Google Play. If you can't do that, then go to Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Oh, you can also find it on marriageradio.com. That may be the easiest one to remember. But iTunes is a good place to go, and or Marriage Radio if you look. And find the one called the Definitive Guide to Boundaries. Now, that's where I speak for an hour and 15 minutes about how to set boundaries. And if a person doesn't meet your, your boundaries, then what do you do about it? It shows you that you shouldn't set too many boundaries. It shows you that boundaries are not wishes and wants. They're absolute do's and absolute don'ts. Because in that same hour and 15 minutes, I explain criteria. Boundary says you can't do this, and if you keep doing it, here's the negative consequence. Criteria says you must do this, and if you do it, here's the positive consequence. So find that that way. That's where you get the longest and best answer to that. Mm -hmm. And I left the link for that in our comments as well. Another person says, my former spouse tells me that when she sees my daughter, formerly her stepdaughter in public, my daughter is rude to her or ignores her. She says it hurts her because she's helped raise her for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other people telling me that the situation's just bad. How should I respond to her to reduce anger and hostility? Okay. I think I would do the following. Number one is I would say to her, you know, I can't control my daughter's emotions. Neither can you. Mm. And it may be difficult for my daughter herself to control her emotions. Then I would say, I understand you're hurt. I do. I understand the fact that you poured into her life and now she's angry with you and she's treating you badly. And I understand how that hurts you. I empathize with that. I relate to that. You say, why would you say that? Because I think people want to be understood and this shows that you understand her. And then I would say, but I can't control what my daughter feels. What I ask you to do is to consider the pain she feels that we're apart right now. And and when you see anger, anger is always based on pain. And what you're seeing are manifestations of her pain. So rather than reacting with her toward anger or being upset about what she's doing, I ask you to be understanding toward her. And so the next time you see her in public and she's rude to you, if the opportunity presents itself, I suggest you might want to say something like this to her. I know you're hurt. And I'm sorry for the fact that I caused you hurt. I hope that someday we can get along better. Now, if she is willing to say that and, and the situation is the right place and time for her to say that, that may help some. The other thing I would recommend then is that you say to your daughter, I know you're hurt. I don't blame you one bit for your hurt. May I ask you to also consider the fact that my ex, your ex-mother, uh, if you will, is also a human being with her own pain. And if ever we can work out something in the future, uh, it would help me to do that if when you see her, you don't manifest your anger toward you. Now, if you do, you do. I'm not chastising you, but I'm saying you can help me if you can try to understand and control that. That's how I would suggest you deal with that. Mm. One other person. Is that a short enough answer That's for you, good. Man? It's good. <laughs> we are trekking along. Um, husband says he's checked out. How mm-hmm. can I get him to check back in? Well, you can't make him. <laughs> Again, make him check back in. What you do is this. We have a thing we talk about called pies. It's about how one person is attracted to another. Pies, the letters stand for physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. And so what you do is you become as intellectually attractive as you possibly can. 
You say, how do you do that? Well, it takes a long time to explain. I'm just going to give you the highlights. If you know there are things that are interesting to him and you're willing to learn about those things, then do. Then when in ever, if ever in conversation that comes up, let's say he's interested in model trains. I'm just making up something. And if somehow that comes up in a conversation, you say, yeah, you know, the other day I was reading about model trains and I discovered, and then you just say what you, what you found out. And if he goes, when did you become interested in model trains? She can respond, you know, I saw this thing the other day and I knew you were interested in it. Not a curiosity. I picked it up. It's actually pretty intriguing. Intellectual attraction says you can communicate about, communicate, pardon me, communicate about something that's important to him and to you. And so if it is something you can make important to you, you become more attractive. Emotionally, make sure that you don't go overboard. You don't push anything. Don't manipulate, don't control, don't whine, don't plead because that creates negative emotions. But if you ever have opportunity to do things like just smile, just to say a kind word, just to be warm and friendly. Those are emotional things you do that make you more attracted to him. Physically, that's the P in the pies. You become the best you you can be no matter what your age is. You take care of your own body. You know, I'm not saying go get plastic surgery. Just be the best you can be physically at your age and situation in life. So do all of those things. Spiritually, that means live up to your beliefs and values. Be consistent with those things. Uh, don't become somebody different than who you've been before by changing your beliefs and values and descending into a different kind of morality than you had before. You say, will that work? I'm saying if anything works, that will. Now, I wish I had time to explain that in more detail, but I don't. You can find out a lot more information about that if you look at all our material, marriagehelper.com, our podcast, our videos, our Facebook posts, and many, many things, or you can find out by contacting us and seeing what else we have to offer you. But if you work on the pies, if anything gets him to check back in, it will be that. You don't try to change anything about him. You become more attractive physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. If that's mm -hmm. of value to you, you do that. And if anything will get him to check back in, that will, but it won't do it overnight. Mm -hmm. You have to be consistent and you have to be patient. Yeah. And that works no matter if you're a mile apart, 10 miles apart, 2000 miles apart, those concepts you use because someone else had a question about that. All right. Another question. Someone said, what is the likelihood that a husband will reinitiate contact with the affair partner after he's already committed to working on the marriage? I can't predict likelihood in the sense of saying there's a 10% chance or a 90% chance. I can't do that. I'm saying that how you guys interact with each other will affect that. Now, if indeed the affair partner was somebody with whom he had an emotional connection, and I know you don't want to think about that, but if indeed it was someone with whom he had an emotional connection, there's a natural part of him that over time will want to know if she's okay. You know, just to call to see if she's fine, that kind of stuff. Not necessarily meaning he's wanting to reconnect, not necessarily, but that he feels some degree of responsibility. So how do you deal with that? Tell him up front, I'm so glad you've committed to be with me. I realize that there might be times when you wind up thinking about her. I realize there might be times when, when you think about her, you'll find yourself thinking you might want to be with her. I also realize, like Dr. Bean talks about, that sometimes you might feel like you need to check on her just to see if she's okay. So I want you to know that if you come to me and tell me any of those things, I feel this way, any of those things I just mentioned or anything else, 
you can tell me and it will be a safe place for you. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to cry. I'm, I'm not going to act like, oh, I'm not going to get all sad and whiny. If you tell me that, I'm going to look you in the eye and say, I am so honored that you would trust me enough to tell me what you feel. Then together we'll work through what you do next. So if you're saying, I really want to make sure she's okay. I want to make sure she's safe. You tell me that and I'll say something to you such as, you know, it's not a good idea because you know, if you reconnect with her, all kinds of things can happen, including giving her false hope that you might come back. And it's not fair. Listen to me. You say this to your husband. It's not fair to hurt her like that again. Oh, I know that's going against your crawl, but paying attention to me. It's not fair to her for you to do that because it makes think uh, she may think you're coming back and that's not fair to her. So if you really just have to know, let me find out. I'll check out in some fashion or form, make sure she's okay, but it's not a good idea for you to do idea for you to do it. And I personally am not going to talk to her either, but I'll, I'll check around and we don't want to cause any more pain for her or for you or for me. You understand what I'm saying? You get on his side. You understand what he's feeling. Then you decrease the likelihood, whatever it was, you decrease it dramatically. They're just going to contact her again because he has you to talk about, to talk to about what he's feeling. Now, if you can't deal with that, if he does say those things to you and you're going to get angry, then don't make that offer to him. If he says those things to you and you're going to get all whiny, don't <laughs> make the offer to him. Because if he does do that, if you say you can talk to me and he does, and you show anything that makes him feel crap, I shouldn't have told her that because look how she's acting now. It's going to backfire royally on you. So first make sure you have your own strength, make sure you can do it. And if you can, you make those offers to him. And when he does, you handle it warmly, strongly, calmly. And then the likelihood of him contacting you again whew, drops amazingly. If you can do that, do you understand? That's really up to you. It's not about saying, I'm going to put you in a box where you can't do it. It's about you becoming uh, the place he can go to with his emotions. Therefore, he's not likely to do it. As a matter of fact, very unlikely to do it. It's mm, good. There's a husband, possible PTSD issues and some anger and alcohol issues as well. Mm -hmm. The wife is ready to divorce. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that they get other help before coming to our marriage helper workshop? Well, let me give you the pros and cons either way. If he has PTSD, he is going to need some kind of a counselor or therapist to help him with that. Now, if he's willing to go to that right now, then maybe that's where you start. Let's get you into the PTSD so we can resolve that as much as we possibly can. And then later we can come to the workshop and work on our marriage. But if he's not willing to get the PTSD right now, then I would suggest the workshop first. He said, well, but, but if we work on our marriage and he's still got the PTSD, doesn't he still have to deal with that? And the answer is yes, he does. But by coming to the workshop, we have found that people who need to deal with things, not just PTSD, but addictions, for example, that often after the workshop, now they're finally willing to get the help that they need. They weren't willing before, but they are willing after. Now understand, I cannot guarantee that. I cannot guarantee if you come to the workshop when it's over, all of a sudden he's going to go, you're right. Get me to the therapist as fast as you can. But I am saying it will increase the likelihood a great deal that he will do that when he realizes through the three day workshop, how it's affecting him, how it's affecting you. If you have children, how it's affecting them, 
Hopefully he'll get those ahas, those ah, I'm seeing it now in the workshop that will then lead him to get the therapy he needs for the PTSD. So did you hear me? If he's willing to get it now, I suggest you do that first. Get that under control, come to the workshop. If he's not willing to do that now, come to the workshop, work on the marriage now, and then hopefully that will motivate him to go get the help for the PTSD. Now, if you're thinking, well, should we come back to the workshop then? Love to have you back. As a matter of fact, when people come back to the workshop, uh, we have a really special deal for them because we love people coming back to the workshop. So yeah, if you want to come back, we can do that too. You may not need to, but that's the order in which I would do those things. Yeah, that's awesome. And here's the final question we'll answer today. Someone asked, is it ever a good idea to reach out to your spouse's family or friends to help them, to ask them to help you stand for the marriage? Yes and no. <laughs> it's one of those kind of answers. You say, what do you mean? If it's something that you can get your spouse to get the right, to do the right kinds of things, it's better not to involve them. Why? We call it throwing them under the bus or throwing her under the bus. It's because if I go tell my in-laws, for example, your daughter's cheating on me with this guy over here, uh, it's going to really hurt their relationship. And ultimately, even though it's not the best thing, ultimately the, the, the biological family often eventually winds up siding with their child. And so even if you go to the in-laws and et cetera and say, help me with this, uh, it may first hurt her relationship or his based on husband and wife. And then later they might wind up siding with them anyway. I'm not saying they necessarily will, but often they do. But I also said, yes. You say, well, when's that the case? It's when the person's doing something that they won't stop. Sometimes, if you know the family would believe that to be wrong. Now, if they don't believe it to be wrong, this is not going to work. And if you know that the family would see that as being destructive to their child, their sister, their brother, that's when you can go to the family and say, I want to do an intervention. Say, for example, say your husband's drinking heavily, coming home drunk and driving drunk some, and etc., like that. And you know his mom and dad, his brother, his sister, whomever, would be like, oh no, we've got to stop that because that's dangerous. That's when you go see the family and say, will you help me do an intervention to get him to the right place so he can deal with this drinking problem? So it tends to work better with addictions. Sometimes it works with infidelity. Sometimes it doesn't because it may be that spouses respond by saying, oh, we're going to stay out of this. Or even they first say to your spouse, you should stop this, but eventually they start listening to your spouse talk about how bad you are and they start believing that and then they turn against you. So it's, you have to know them. You have to know what you think they're going to do in response. And also know this, that if you go to them, even if it's an addiction, like I want you to help me get my husband to stop drinking, understand that he may become furious that you have talked to his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister, and you've got to weigh all that out. So I advise two resources here. One is uh, get on our website and find the intervention document. It's on our website, Marriage Helper, and that's Marriage Help, E-R, MarriageHelper.com. And it's like a 30 or 40 page PDF that goes through step by step by step how to do an intervention. Here's what's going to happen. If you try to do an intervention or his family or friends or her family or friends try to do an intervention the way that they just think, well, this will work. Let me going to go do it because we think we know how to do it. It's going to fail. 
large percentage of failure there, high, high percentage of failure there because they don't know how to do it, even though they think they do. Often they'll say, we don't want to read that 35 or 40 page thing. That's too long. Urge them to. It's based on the Alcoholics Anonymous model of how to do an intervention. So please get them to read it and understand it. And if you're going to do it right, you even practice it before you do it. And then the intervention is done and has a much greater likelihood of actually working to get the person stopped. And so if you're asking people to help you do an intervention and they say, oh, we, we don't need to read that stuff, we can do it. Say, in that case, I prefer you don't do it at all. Because they're probably going to do more harm than good, even though they mean well. Now, if you don't want to read the one I've written about how to do an interdiction or intervention, then go find some other professional to help you do an intervention. But you or no, anybody else need to do it on the wing. Like, oh, we can do this. No, 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 no. There's so much involved there. And so first go find that document. There's also two 45 minute audios there you can listen to that goes through it in greater detail. So I suggest get that first. Look at that document, listen to those audios. If you're going to do that, really consider that. The second thing is if you have any doubts about how you think they're going to react, whether they'll help you or not, you might want to consider talking to one of our coaches first so that they can ask you the right questions, help you think things through. They won't be able to give you a definitive answer. Oh, well, based on your answers, yes, definitely see the spouse or see the spouse's parents. Or no, definitely no. Well, actually, they might be able to tell you definitely no, but they typically can't tell you definitely yes. They'll just ask you questions and say, okay, based on what you're saying, it sounds like it might be a good idea. Just understand it may backfire. But number one, the intervention resource. It's on our website. It's free. Number two, you may want to work with one of our coaches for a while before you do that. Mm, that's good stuff. I dropped a free ebook for the people watching. You can opt in. You can get that. Leave your email address. We'll send it right to you. It's for the topic of it is the seven ways to save your marriage. Well, where we give some of these things we've talked about, but we also give a little bit more and we'll send that right to you free for you because we care. We want to help you the best way that you can. If you're interested in any of our coaching, our workshops, that we're having. Um, we have a few more this summer. So if that's something you're interested in, be sure to give us a call, talk to our team. We'll get you the information you need for that. And whatever you might need, we are here to help you. Dr. Beam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me on. Thank you, audience. And we'll see you next time.